0: you yeah, welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Sele Gott. On this episode, my guest is Tuluani Obayan, a screenwriter, director, and published author. She wrote This Lady Called Life and Ponzi, and also directed a silent shot called Heart and Rights. She hosts The Once Upon a Dreamer podcast, and is the author of How to Be a Spectacular Woman talk about dreams, storytelling, and experiences in the industry. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi Tolwani, you're welcome to the Niger filmmaker.
1: Hi Shere, thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. So, um, can you introduce yourself?
1: Um, my name is Tolwani Obayan, I'm creative screenwriter director storyteller author um i like to call myself a dreamer or should i say visionary because when you say dreamer most people tend to think your head is in the clouds but visionary means you see a picture and you want to go towards it right yeah. so yes that's who i am
0: okay can we start from like the very beginning when when did you discover like you're a creative because i guess you write and you also um my director so like when did all this creativity start for you
1: i would say my earliest memory was when i was a child maybe five years old so when i would negotiate with my my dad my mom my grandparents for stories mm. so at least at home every night we got a bible story before going to bed and my dad was an excellent storyteller he would make us think of David and Goliath and how the stories just, the Israelites fought and they did all, all of those things and it was really wonderful for my hungry imagination to picture all of that. Um, but then also when we would go visiting my grandparents, especially my grandfathers, yeah. they would tell me a lot of folk tales about the fortress and the hare and things that happened in villages or the strong man of the village and the strong man of the town. Um I like, I, I a little, a or something like that. And I would negotiate for them to tell me maybe 10 of those types of stories. And they would say 10 is too much and then they'd bring it down to maybe five and we would go from there. So stories back to back, before binge consumption of stories was a thing, I was already getting it through my family. Yeah. So I guess I would say from that time already, I knew I was very interested in stories and it was very difficult for me to ever see a plain sheet of paper
2: yeah.
1: and not want to write something or draw something on it. I remember how many books I started. I never finished because I just wanted to create, but I you didn't know what I was doing per se.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I say that's when it started.
0: Okay. Um. In an interview, I think you said you have your blood in you. You have Igbo blood. You're from like different parts of Nigeria. Like with, um, these stories that your grandparents were telling you, like, you know. The North, the South, the East can be quite different at times, but were there like yeah. similar themes in these stories that you are being told at a young age?
1: I can't really remember now about being specifically, but I do know that yes, about that heritage thing where maybe in some ways, just being from or just just having so many people that uh, I would call blood. Yeah. From different parts of the country, means that the influences rubbed off. Where I would see, I would just see stories and not necessarily think of one name from a particular tribe. We could have five names, and I wouldn't really think that they were different languages at that time because I didn't know that they were different languages. Yeah. Um. But yeah. All
0: right. So, when did you, you know, kind of get into the filmmaking industry? What was your first experience?
1: My first contact and then I would say, it would have been. Okay, before I actually started working in film, I already loved movies from when I was really young, with yeah. the online stories and everything. And it was always a family pastime where we would sit together in front of the TV and watch stuff and learn, like the the lines together because we had watched it so many times. It was something we would do with my dad, my mom, and we had a lot of favorites. Yeah. Um, so already that was something. But when I got into university, but my final year, because I started doing mass communication, and at that point I was thinking I would go to broadcast, be a news um, news anchor or a reporter, one of the two. So I got to the final year and we were, or should I say, I got to 300 year huh? mm. and we were doing some courses, and there were some tasks that we were required to do, like assignments, and film production was a, was a part of that. And I noticed, it's not like I just, like I remembered that. This is something i love and i actually love it more than all of this hmm. because apart from being in class when i was back in booster i would be watching films i would be analyzing them i be giving my hot takes on it yeah. but i just never listened to the career path i could take even though i was doing those things by the side i was one who would edit most of my projects we were doing in class i had to be edited like if we did a news production for instance i would be one of the editors on those because I knew how to use a premiere for, for reading them or mm. something I learned maybe to read. Too much. Um, so when I discovered that film was also part of this mass communication thing, it's mass media right, which is massive, uh, like, I can actually specialize in this instead of going through the new routes that seems to be, to me to be a bit boring because you're restricted by many rules. You can't just be too creative with expression. I'm sure people who are in that space will disagree, but that's how it felt to felt very restrictive. Yeah. Um, I decided to do my final year project on film, specifically. It was on the perceived influence of recurring the Hollywood themes on social cultural development. Mm. Um, so it was something that spoke to a lot of people and addressed a lot of things that people were trying to find out about film and its influence on masses. Um, that piqued that my interest more, so I ended up doing a master's after that in film and television studies at the University of Portsmouth. England, my first degree was at Covenant University.
0: Mm-hmm. Second
1: was at the University of Portsmouth. And while I was there, I was introduced majorly to screenwriting. I had done writing before here yeah, and then yeah, as a mass communication student. And writing beats for beats, headlines, news pieces. Yeah, but in this case, it was writing for film. And I was a natural. It didn't feel like something I had to learn from scratch. Yeah. Because I had been so exposed to storytelling along the lines. And I enjoyed the whole whole experience of it. I remember having a review called this which was called An African Queen. They mm. told the story of this Nigerian girl that meets the Crown Prince of England yeah. and in this whirlwind romance and they get married and there's no backlash. I didn't know that um there would be a lady of let's say mixed heritage getting married into the royal family one day, but that was yeah. the story I remember back in twenty thirteen or so. Um, and the screenwriting doctor, she was already um, working in Hollywood at the time. So learning from her was also something that was a rich experience.
2: Yeah.
1: Then I came back to Nigeria after that, started working at Walidina Productions as a video editor. And it was just like, this is supposed to be in the meantime. I still want to write, so I want to go and direct. But I got a job as an editor, which actually did help and everything. So I've been in the film industry. Since let's say 2011, based on the research I've been doing and my masters and the jobs I've had in video editing, which ultimately led to me writing a few scripts that maybe I know now um, and directing my short films.
0: Okay, so um, you you did mass comms, you did um your masters, and then you came back and started working at. While Wale Adinka Productions, how was that um, switch, or how was that introduction into the industry? Like, what's, what were the things you learned quickly while, you know, editing, like, the TV, TV shows?
1: Mm. Editing for TV was interesting, especially when I say editing for drama. Because back in school, most of what I had edited maybe would have a few feeds, maybe these shots and that shot, and... It wasn't drama that you were trying to take close-up um, shots, establishment shots, and piece everything in one. It, it wasn't as complicated, and it wasn't as um, speed-driven. Hmm. Um, but when I started working with one editor, and you have episodes being churned out every week, um, speed was demanded. Then was speed, in, not just speed in the sense of having the whole episode being ready, but speed of cutting, because... It had to be seamless.
2: Yeah.
1: And in being seamless, there could be a shot where continuity was an issue. The actor might be looking out when in the last shot they were looking down or even turning to the side. And you have to find a way of using a cutaway at that point. Or distracting with something else so it doesn't look as if there's several takes. Mm. And that for me took a little bit of time. Not really that much. Maybe I think after a week of practicing there, I already got the, the gist of it. And the more I edited, the easier it got, where I, I didn't, I think even when I edit now, I don't have to look at my keyboard, because you already know the controls, you already know the shortcuts to everything. Mm. I just do it and get it out. It was, I think it was a wonderful experience, even though for someone like me who has a very low threshold for boredom, after I had gotten the hang of it, it wasn't as exciting anymore, because, well, you just sit down, you're not set for but se. You yeah. feel like you're there because you're in action. Okay? Just um, giving that possible there. You hear all the things that go on behind the scenes. You see, you hear when the actors get into character. And you hear when they have to take lines. Mm. Sometimes you're editing something that you think is going well, then you just get to a point where they made a mistake and you have to change the whole thing and start again. So it could be really frustrating, but learning experience was important for me because even when I went back into scripting, I could see the edits as I would write. Yeah. Like, okay, if I write this way, how would they cut it? I can't just switch to this next thing without maybe giving something like a transition or intermission because I know it could be difficult if you're not considering that in the the scripting stage. And my hope is that every time that a director that I'm working with Mm. sees the script, they can already kind of picture the film because somehow I have added the cuts to it in my head too. So it's been really helpful. I think there's no part of film that's not worth knowing if you can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. At what point did you, you know, like leave your editing job and what was that next step for you in the film industry?
1: It was a bit of a hard experience after I thought I was ready. I was ready in all honesty. And I think
0: people go through seasons where
1: you grow. I left well I didn't in twenty sixteen. Hmm. Early twenty sixteen. And um I left because I felt doors were opening for screenwriting opportunities. People were like, seeing my work, maybe they will see a short stuff I wrote. And I was like, I oh, want we'll to work with you on this short. Yeah. So I had gotten like four offers like that, and I was like, okay, based on the prices I told them and them agreeing to this, I can survive if I leave this job. I like the job. The first person I wrote for was all still like, you know, be the newbie in that space. I didn't mm. know how things could on the other side. Yeah. first person I wrote for gave me. We didn't sign the contract, blah, 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 up till today, There was never payment for that gig. Hmm. Um, there was no stories. And this be that I had left my job. I left everything and I didn't really have a backup plan.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but, thank God, everything is sorted out. It's just part of the stories you tell when you're trying to find your footing in an industry, like this. So after that, I got a lot of situations like that where it would either be saying do this thing for free or can okay, you just help me with this? or you do something at the office. So very, very, very basic. And um, thankfully my parents were understanding. So I had to move back home.
2: Yeah. I was staying
1: at home. I wasn't there yet. I think that helped. But constantly, I would say that was my hustling phase, because I would never have seen myself as a hustler. But I was on the road constantly. I lived that time at of I was on but most of the work you would do, is in Lagos, right? Mm. So people that get writing or writing services or even production consults, whatever it is, in Lagos, they're in Lagos. So I would all the way to keep up public transport, bus after bus, and tomorrow after tomorrow all the way to maybe through Nyeri or sometimes even to the IMAP and then back.
2: Yeah.
1: And I was that because the sun had beaten me very well that period. But even with all of that, it wasn't as if A lot was coming in, or if it, if a lot wasn't coming in and then at least you were seeing credits on TV, it would be a bit better. Yeah. But it would be a kind of situation where you write something and you don't know what happens to it. Maybe they've taken your credits off and given it to another person. So there's nothing to even show for the work that you're doing. So that's how that season was for Until so I guess my short film, Hat and night. Yeah. But the good thing about that season was I really honed in on the craft. Mm. Like I would sit down, after the reading, studying film, watching many things like Hollywood Roundtable, yeah. and feeling as if I was sitting on the table with them and saying, okay, I didn't necessarily want to be there one day but it was like, if I sit with these type of people and think about film the way they think about it, maybe I'll be onto something. Yeah. And it really rubbed up on me and I remember of days and my dad came into the room and saw me. He had been watching me often and just studying, studying, studying. And he, he said to me, because um, my dad was a person who strongly believed in God and his leading and I, do, I believe that too. Mm. He told me that to learning all these things that you're doing, one day, very soon, it would stand you out in the midst of your peers. And he said it with his, he said it really deeply, like he got an epiphany. God was showing him something. he said I shouldn't worry about it, my new I if nothing is happening for now, he it would, it would pay off, it would happen. Yeah. And the reason that still means a lot to me is because it wasn't long after that that my dad passed. And it's one of the things I remember him saying that really stuck with me that as you're pushing here and nothing seems to be showing for it, it will show one day. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that must have really been encouraging, you know. Because it, it can I'm be a lonely it. journey, you know, um, trying to trying to make uh, make that break and you know get constant work That's true. Very true. okay so like for you what was your um what was that thing that you you did that kind of changed everything for you like you weren't in this hustling face again like what was your would i say big break i
1: feel like my big break has happened in in elephant bite sizes or something hmm. god has been kind to me, to me more than i can take per season so it's been the kind of thing that has been coming, coming, coming and hasn't overwhelmed because I don't realise it's happening until it actually happens. Yeah. The big thing in, in this sense was my short form, pattern and Mike.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I was at wit's end and I didn't want to do again. And I remember that period, just like asking myself, Because so I was like, at this point, I've worked, I've studied, nothing is coming and I've already come back from doing a master's. I've, I've had a job somewhere and I left the job by myself and this is where I am at home. And um I felt nice, like I don't of I felt tired of myself and I just saw this picture, this image of the bench, the mm. lone bench. And as I saw the bench, I knew it was my story. Like I don't know how many people listening have had experiences like this, but things like this that make me know that my faith in God is a real thing.
2: Yeah.
1: I saw that book and I knew immediately that this was it. this was the answer. Because how much money did I have? I didn't have much. How mm-hmm. many connections did I have ways to do? I didn't I didn't really have that much going for me in that space. Plus my parents were working, but we were not a wealthy family mm-hmm. and there were other things I needed to be sorted out as well. So as so if I could say like, my parents should give me this huge amount of money to go and start doing things. Um but they did help me, they expect anything at all. But even what they could um give at the time wasn't going to be enough to do anything elaborate. Yeah. But the story idea was for a single location on a bench with three characters where I acted too because casting would have cost a bit more so yeah. if I had to cast song in my face. I wrote it, I directed it, I edited it, I composed the score. Hmm. I did a lot of things and people make of like I don't want to be one um, one man army yeah. working on this but that's what I thought in that season. Because what God asked me that season was what do you have in your hands? And that's all I had. So I brought it all to the table. Yeah. And we did that inside because first of all when you had a very low budget, sorting sound out can be extremely expensive. So we didn't even bother with trying to make sure everything was quiet in the environment. We're yeah. not we're just sitting in a park. No permission to use the park or no permission to drive people away or anything like that.
2: So with what we
1: had, we made it a silent short film, Yeah. The music came first. Um, and that's how, that's how it came about. Sometimes for Cannes Film Festival, the Cannes Film but it didn't get selected even though they gave us the reply, which they don't often do. Yeah. They replied saying, we should try it. And that made, that, that really encouraged me for them to actually give a reply because they had said before that you don't expect any reply if you don't get yeah. chosen so that seemed to me that they thought this was worthy of try again don't give up on what you're doing and so the you one. but even though it was rejected by Can, moving forward there were jobs i got especially on an international scale yeah like the other news because people saw samples of my work nailed by heart and might with
2: yeah
1: they saw the concept saying like you can think like this to Create a whole story mm. dedicated to falling on a single bench with these few characters. You can do this thing called satire. We you trust your creativity enough. Yeah. So I got that job where I became the head writer on the show. And I was getting paid on a weekly basis in a way that I guess not people in this country, even beyond um, the painter's space, don't necessarily get paid because it wasn't just a Nigerian um, Initiative. It was something that uh, an American company called PMI, mm. Pilot Media Initiative, had collaborated with Osowa and Channels TV to mm-hmm. create. So they were thinking of compensation that was sensible and honourable for creatives. Yeah. And that process is like coming from this space that there was almost nothing to come into getting on a weekly basis for something that was mind blowing to me at the time. It mm. had been really themselves to was huge then still huge to an extent for people honestly speaking but yeah i mean there's been growth um apart from the other news i also got accepted into Pan african fellowship called um akoma okay i am to try back Where people from rwanda from ghana from kenya nigeria and they only selected was it 10 people out of thousand of applicants I was one of those. And when I when I joined, they told me that the reason I was taking it was because they saw my shop and they were mind blown and they wanted to work with me. And that opened also international doors. Fellowship was a paid one in dollars as well. And the links were pan African because I have different people that I still I am in mean, communication with um, from all over the continent. Yeah. The people that started it were CNN alums. And um, I don't know if you know, it's a Virgie and she Chidiya's crazy. So even working with them also got me into spaces and rooms and conversations that to happen in such a short time. Yeah. Everywhere I put it, even for five, six years after that, it kept on giving, saying, oh, we saw this thing, and we like this, let me do this with you. We saw that, we liked it. So it was that little thing that was in my hand, but God used to do big things.
0: Okay, so like for um, Heart and Might, um, how do you come up with the idea?
1: Heart and definitely divine inspiration. Divine inspiration that um, led to me being able to give commentary on something I was quite passionate about. Hmm. Um, I always wondered about fallen heroes and people fighting the crime. That's against the crime I've been since 2002, I think. Yeah. And so many lives have been lost. And it feels as if many times they're not going away. And it feels very painful. Regardless of the intricacies of the war, I feel people that have given their lives more equals that is important and should not be forgotten. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to tell that story. When you tell a story from a place of love, a lot of people are able to connect. Because we all have people that we love, whether or not it's romantic or it's... In a familial sense, the people that when they are gone will definitely miss. I said, let's put ourselves in the shoes of this lady who maybe lost, had had a bad experience with love, and then finally found her true love mm. in a person, only for to be taken away a so, war. And I was hoping that anybody who had gone through that type of situation would know that they're seen. But apart from that, all of us that maybe go around life just happy though lucky who are unbothered by people's other people's reality i was hoping that we would take a minute to think about it and not be so discount and make it look as if it's none of our business that these things happen around
0: us yeah
1: so that was the general essence of the story
0: okay and um you know you 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 were the director writer you acted in it you composed the score and edited it um for these um, things that you did on the film, like, did you feel prepared, or it was just something out of necessity that you had to basically rise up to the occasion?
1: I, I don't know if you can ever feel prepared enough. But you know, like I said, when I was referring to all my data, I had been studying, mm. I had been watching things about I had been putting myself in that frame of mind even before I thought I would be doing a short film. So. Yeah. I remember initially, I thought maybe I, want, I, would want, I would do a feature first. Yeah. And I spoke to someone in the industry who said, if you've not done a short, then a feature might be too much. Mm. So just try and see what it would be like with the shots first. So I was prepared enough. I had gone myself to the location several times with my iPad and I would like, try and take shots to see what I wanted us to capture because I would have meetings with the cinematographer Mm. to say, okay, this is how we can take this point of view and other things like that. So I was preparing myself and I was praying about it last season. But then I guess it wasn't until I got to the job itself that I knew if I was prepared or not. A lot of it was, okay, today started off slow because it was the first day, but the next day we were on it. because we had to use a lot of daylight and we are very careful to start around the same time every day because like I said, we didn't have enough money so I don't think we used any external lights. We used a reflector and other things, right? Mm. Like I said, deflector, but we didn't use any key lights or stuff. So we're, we're working literally with sunlight and with sunlight measured according to the time of day mm-hmm. so that stuff would be consistent and all of that. Um. And so preparation was an go. I think for everything that has to do with film, it's not just going to be like a one-off that that happens. Even in Hollywood, um, there are things that you have to adapt to on the go, on a set. And I think you can't be overly prepared just to know that you're ready for whatever comes. And that's one of the things I learned by doing that film. Editing-wise, I was very prepared because, like I said, just before that, I had been editing non-stop. I really had been in the productions like months prior to that, maybe seven months prior to that. And I still kept editing at home for other things, maybe little projects here and there. yeah, so I was prepared editing wise, writing wise. I think I was prepared, but I've grown even since then. So I was prepared, prepared enough for that.
0: So now let's let's talk about composition. Composition is a different ball game. Like, did you have a musical background? Like, how did you come up with the score for the film?
1: You know, I wanted the score and not generic soundtracks yeah. that I could buy, because I was trying to speak to something military. I wanted something that would be symbolic, something that would give tribute. And in the military, beagles I used to call people to duty. Um, for anybody that has gone through national youth service course, you know that the beagle goes off and you're out. And that's generally how um, barracks and everything work. So I wanted to use that trumpet type sound. Also, I was happy to use something very subtle, because, or should I say very, very minimal, mm. because uh, the body bird- like I told you, there were budget constraints, and in this case, it was a friend that helped, and I just maybe gave transports to, so I didn't pay for the score. That meant also that I couldn't get a producer officially to start writing any music for me, because when it becomes something very extensive, it's, it's almost unfair to yeah. ask people to put all of that in, and you can't compensate them. Mm. Um, so I wrote this, but the good thing is that I've always been in music. I think I didn't mention that. I didn't really mention myself as a musician when I was introducing myself because it's not something I do professionally.
2: Yeah,
1: Like, it's not my line of work, but it's something I love. I've been in the choir for the longest time. For the longest time. Um, I've written several songs. I think I've written over 60 songs. Oh. i played the guitar. Enough to compose songs with it. I've played the recorder quite well. Um, I understand music. I read music. So nice. writing... Writing the score... Thank you. Writing the score... It was something I hadn't done before. Like everything else, I studied a bit, went to look through things that Hadzuna had done, noticed, learned the cues, learned the themes and the tracks that would come at, at different points. Even though it was at a very maybe foundational level. Yeah. Um, but it was important for me to do what I needed to do for the film. So there was a calling a little no cue that started at one point and still showed up again at the end of the film things like that if you listen to it you see how some of the things are repeated with maybe added music or on a different key to show an elevation of the movement of the narrative so that's how that went.
0: all right so at this point um i'll ask can you mention um three random facts about yourself hey,
1: three random facts first i'm a really good cook when i decide to cook okay so like I don't think I'm the person that would say I'm dreaming of being in the kitchen
2: yeah
1: but then I'm really good at cooking um and I like cooking healthy things and making them delicious so most people are surprised that oh this thing is healthy and oh, it's so delicious because healthy lifestyle and living is something I'm really passionate about nowadays especially since um I've experienced sometimes the alternative of what that could be like mm. and I've learned that the way you eat and the way you sleep and the way you exercise has a lot to do with the quality of life you live while you're here. Um, so it's something I'm passionate about, but also enjoying life as you're living it. So you're not eating healthy and miserable. So yes, I'm a good cook. Okay. If I digress, I'm a good cook. That's one. Secondly, um, that okay, my mind is a very busy place. I'm quite on the outside, but very talkative on the inside. That's the best way to put it. And many times I'm quiet on the outside because I haven't finished figuring out how narrow down everything I want to say. Um, Three, I am an author of a book called Becoming a Spectacular Woman. Okay. Yes, and that was my first book. So that's another random fact.
0: You know, I think having a lot of ideas and kind of being paralysed by How many ideas you might have is a constant thing that um, creatives um, deal with. Like for you, how do you organize your thoughts and, you know, basically end up, you know, kind of executing some of those things so that, you know, you end up, something comes out of it, that process.
1: Um, I think I found journaling to help a lot. Because for me, like, journaling, writing is the way I catch, catch my thoughts. It's oh. very therapeutic in that sense. And like, I feel very light so when I've written it all down on paper because I don't have to keep thinking or remembering or trying to not miss something. So I tend to journal quite a bit Yeah. Um, in different places. That's the thing. I wish everything was in one place. Yeah. But it's been, whatever is within at the time like, get it. So if it's my phone, it's on my phone. If it's a notepad, it's a notepad. If it's my diary. So if it's somewhere on Google Docs when I'm with a laptop, so I write down or even record for and keep it. So I have, I have things everywhere. I think it really does help because there are times when I've left it for years and then I come back and I'm like, oh, wow, this could work. Yeah. For instance, in one of the films I did, Ponzi, hmm. um, so that's on Amazon Prime right now, my brother and I started out just remembering a place we had lived during our NYC days and remembering people on that street and thinking, what if we made it into a film about Ponzi? the funding scheme and yeah. someone coming to deceive people because we had a lot of people who were involved in birth things on that street
2: yeah
1: um and it took like maybe five years or so before there was any need for that idea to be made into a film yeah so it does help document things
0: okay uh what did you do nyc i'm curious
1: i didn't know where
0: lago state okay yeah obviously <laughs> um yeah <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so yeah, let's talk about, um, you know, you, you're, you're the writer for This Lady Called Life and Ponzi, and also Finding Diana, one of the writers. Um, yes. It's wanting to, you know, write, it's wanting to write short films, and then it's wanting to, for what you have written, to be produced into a film. Um, two of these mm-hmm. films that I've mentioned were directed by Kaidi. So for you like what was that journey to kind of would i say showing or yeah showing your script to people and then also kind of finding like this special collaboration with other people that you know can help the idea get made what was that journey for you you know building up to okay. ponzi and um this lady called life okay
1: this lady called Life, I met day in he was one of the editors at Walea production while well, I was there. That's how we met or so became friends there. And um I think we our first ever I think it wasn't his first ever short, but it was my first ever short, not in a directorial role but as a writer, was the film Be called in Time. Mm. And we submitted it for for the eight hour film challenge, meaning we just wrote it in six hours and we tried to start making the film immediately on rush, rush, rush. Yeah. And we made it to the final of the challenge. I remember we didn't win because because the voting stage and we didn't get enough to vote for us. But we had a fighting chance. Um. So after that, I think I did left the Productions maybe a year before I left. I also left eventually, but we stayed in touch of that And when he was ready to do this thing called Life, it wasn't called that at the time initially, but he had this, he wanted to do about a lady who mm-hmm. cooked. We yeah. started talking about it. We didn't really move on with it at that point. I guess everybody just had to. I was busy at the other end. He was busy doing something. Else. I don't think yes. he had his job at the time. So he was directing, finding ways just to balance everything at the same time. Um, Then a year after that, he reached out again saying so he really wanted to do this and he came to me with like some points of ideas he was having especially the fact that she was a, a cook and there would be a competition mm. and from that point he wanted it to be a story he had the title then, this lady called life and just from the title I knew that we would have to take on life yeah. it couldn't just be a thing where the movie would um, overshadow the aspects of real life and relationships and other things like that. Yeah. Um so I was my focus was to get it to the point where everything that happened within the film uh, would sort of be a metaphor for, for life, just as the character was a metaphor for life and things that can happen in life and positions and choices we make and all of that. Um so the collab- the collaboration happened because we had worked together when we were while at I had, had productions and I kept in touch and I didn't always that like, you know get would work together on a feature film. Yeah. So he reached out, we did it, and it turned out, um, I think it turned out really well, thank God, even the reception of the event trip, something that people still talk about up to today, and have a lot of emotional moments, a lot of people have cried, they shared it with their families, they felt like they told their own stories, and that's a huge way um, for me, because if a story doesn't connect, even if it makes all the money in the world, it's not enough for me. Yeah. I think stories are supposed to reach people's hearts. Yeah same for Ponzi. Ponzi was um, not just Kaede, though it was Kaede and, and Vincent Okonkwo who mm. was the executive producer Kaede was the director on it. So it was more of me working with Lisa Vincent for the first time, yeah. on a future level, second time. And they liked our story idea, because this one was an original idea from us,
2: yeah.
1: um, being shared with them. They liked the idea, and I wrote the script, for example. If you see the credits, my brother's name is also in credits for story because it was both of us conceptualized it. Yeah. Conceptualized it. So that's what the process was like. I guess writing a feature was is a bit different. It's not it is it's very different from writing a short hmm. because in short you you get to contain everything you're trying to say, fewer pages, fewer words. With a feature you have to keep the interest for a long enough period of time. Yeah. So it's almost as if it's many shots and so many scenes and all of that. And it takes a lot of stamina. I don't like, the part of the writing I don't like is when when the ideas are not flowing in a strong enough way for to, me to finish. Because I always want to get to the end of it to be able to look at the work and say, okay, it's time to do the second draft. Yeah. But writing that first draft can be very difficult because you write the first page and you're like, is this really working? Mm. Why is this happening? How would this character react this way? I'm not feeling it yet. Um, and you know that if you lose people, maybe in the first 10 pages, they're not going to watch the rest of the film. Or if in the middle it immediately drops, what's the point of all the hype at the beginning of the film? So there's just a lot of pressure to keep the momentum going when you're writing a full-length feature that could go on for two hours, one hour, 10 minutes and again against the short film that you can't even watch five it's just five minutes, right? People mm-hmm. won't give two hours if it's not going to hold them. So
2: yeah.
0: Okay. So what's your process of, you know, um writing a feature and how have you adapted that process to how knowledge producers work? What's your ideal like process? My ideal process overall would give me enough time. Typing my is very
1: fast typer. Uh, I don't have to look at my keyboard and type. So yeah. I guess if you've been writing for a while, you already know everything is getting done. Um but I feel like many stories that come out that are flat, it's not because they didn't have the potential to be epic, it's because they were rushed. Yeah. And ideas need time to be. If we're going to have the richness of nuance and layers and the thematic expression done correctly,
0: yeah. it
1: needs time. It's not just time from the screenwriter, it needs time from people who are even giving feedback, not just saying, oh, this one doesn't work and that doesn't work or the not So but things like okay asking the right questions what's in the psyche of this character I don't feel what the character did at the end is in line with who the character was introduced to be things are on a deeper level that make us really think so that even when criticisms are coming for' because critics allow allowed to do their thing and help them really stay on the best levels for the quality that we bring to the table but even when critics are doing their thing like it's not just go-handing groups that they get to use to critique film mm. they have to go deeper into the concepts so they they can really challenge the craft and make it better, but not just bash lazy work. Because the truth of matter is that to do any film in Hollywood, it's not even lazy. You can't be lazy on this side of um, the continent of the globe to make a film. We don't have enough money to be lazy.
2: Yeah.
1: You see people stressed out. They're not sleeping. They're on caffeine. Working hard. Working back to back set to set. But like if we're ready to put in all that work and all that stress, can we calm down a bit to get the story done? Mm-hmm. So yes, I would say my pro- my process is door um, mm-hmm. and most most of the time nowadays, people that work with me come to me with stories ahead of time because they know I like to take my time. Not I can't take my time with the Hollywood screenwriter would, because they get six months. Sometimes they get that's not going to happen
2: mm-hmm. so,
1: yeah. right now. When I ask for six, it's already like, "What? You're asking us for six weeks?" So, so that's what I ask for here. And in the process of that, I start with outlining. And my outline, okay, this is what I want to happen to here, here. So I can sort of see in a miniature way of them. I feel, okay, I like what it looks like. From there, I start with just writing. Sometimes I plot out my things in almost like a storyboard format. Yeah. So I can still keep my eyes on it. Sometimes I go away from it for a time, just so that I can critique it from a distance. And, okay, this isn't working, that's working. Because when you try and, like I said, in rushing through, you miss a lot of things, you miss a lot of even things on an, on an analytical level, yeah. you miss out on knowing the motivation and wants and needs of characters. Because you can go into a story thinking this is what your character wants or needs. Then as you write, you learn more. It's like the characters in the story begin to screw you. and say, I think this is not what I need. Based on everything that's here, this is actually what would fulfill me the most. Then you go back and you rework it. And that happened a lot with Something like this thing called like because yeah. in this biblical life, I had intended for the woman to be her stepmother and not her mother. Okay. And I remember that period that I said about everything, I pray every a lot about my work. I don't call God out of anything. And it felt as if God was putting my heart. What you're trying to go for here, she should be the mother and not the stepmother. And it opened a whole new line of thinking because what would cause a mother to treat her own daughter? in this despicable way.
2: Yeah.
1: Could it be trauma from the past? Could be, yeah, could it be a self, um, self disgust that she already has for herself before her daughter came in picture? It became a much more, more pelling dream. But everybody can understand if it's not your child, yeah, you can be selfish, you only love your child. But then when it's a case of a mother treating her own child that way, it's because she hates something in herself and she has her own shame yeah. that she's transferring to yeah. A child, so it made the story much deeper. And once that, once that happened, everything just began to tick. I could see that the father was the one who was the stepfather, but he was the one who was loving. So, Ross was. So, a story that seemed St. linear and simple all of a sudden had elements that would make us question why people do what they do, yeah. and how we react to those things too, and those things happen with time. You can't rush it. You can't rush the process of. Making a case for every decision you make in a script. Uh. Um, with Ponzi, I didn't have as much time, and that wasn't on the. That wasn't really on the producers and the director. It was more because that period, entirely had happened. Yeah, and I was in a mental space to write anything that was funny. Um, so I needed an extension for that project. It ended up being. And I had to meet up during that extension because they did to go on sets.
2: Yeah.
1: And they were very gracious. They understood that most people were not feeling okay after I was one of the people that went to protest. Thankfully I wasn't there on the day that shootings happened. Hmm. But hearing gunshots from my house meant that it was very close. It was very real. I even knew someone who was there who thankfully escaped before any bullets touched him. Yeah. So that whole trauma of meant that I had to take a break, but we still had to get back to work. When I look back at Ponzi nowadays, a lot of people love the film. I think he was still brilliantly done. Many times I look at it and I really respect the directorial work that Kayadi did on it because blocking a film like that was pretty really difficult. Where I wrote it, a lot of things would be happening at the same time. In the background, this character is and that. And he was able to capture that and I, I saw how much hard work within the time limitations and budget budget constraints they had, he would have been to pull that off. But he pulled it off. So a lot of respect for his work. Um, but yeah, if there was more time on Ponzi, there are a lot of things that would have either taken out or be written in certain way. But yeah, out there so it has its own life
0: now. Okay. So, you, I mean, you talked about time being one of the um, things that is needed for um, a very like good script. So what other things do you think, like, um, you know, picking from the title of your book, What are some of the things that will make a spectacular writer?
1: (laughs) Nice one. I think humility to the process. Okay. Because for every project you take on, you really don't know. You you may have gotten an award for something before, but every story is new. Um, The characters are new. The world is new. So if you don't come into that world with, childlike wonder you would end up maybe mixing things you've written in old places feeling you're familiar with what you're not familiar with. You need to be ready to be surprised and learn. When I talk about learning from characters, people think I'm going close as craziness. But it's not crazy to pay attention and say, okay, this might be a space I'm not familiar with. That humility means also if if it's not something you're familiar with, if it's not a terrain you're familiar with, for instance, I'm I'm not a scientist. And I'm meant to write a character that's a scientist on the brink of an invention. Yeah. I have to go and study that. I have to go and maybe learn and find out from people in that field, watch as many documentaries as I can, so I can almost get into the psyche of the person who thinks like a scientist. And then in the process of that, do justice to the character, to the character's motivations, to the character's world. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't come with that in the meat, I would just say, ah, I've seen them now, from a rising small scientist to isn't that how to do I just write something that doesn't resonate and it's not organic. Um, so I'll say humility. I would also say um, curiosity. I think humility and curiosity come hand in hand with that. Yeah. I would say also owning the craft. I feel like I must, I'm personally in a process where I'm not taking on as much projects because I need to learn more. Yeah. I think it gets to a point where you feel like you know all the tools that you're asking and you need to add more. You need to update this thing. And I've been feeling that way. So regardless of how many people are celebrating my work and saying, oh, you're one of the people who look up to in the industry and things, I'm always grateful for that. I'm grateful for how far God has brought me. But I know that in creativity, there really isn't an end. I know I don't know all that there is to know. So I think it's necessary for that hunger to remain. Yeah. If you want to be spectacular in how you create, the things you would get as inspiration from a child, the child could ask you a question. And then you start wandering in that direction. Like, why couldn't this be part of the story? Just get ideas popping up from everywhere. Travel the world, watch people, ask questions, listen. Yes, but never stop listening. I think that's a huge thing. You keep getting better. Right, practice, critique yourself. Have a have a group of friends who can give you really honest feedback, but are not mean spirited. Because a mean spirited person will break you down. But someone who can really say, okay, I see what you're trying to do here. So this part loves me. How about we do this or maybe make this stronger? And the person in it is to encourage you. I'm grateful for people that I have in my life that do that. Yeah. It really does help my work.
0: All right, so now let's move to your book. You said you have started a lot of books, but um, How to Be a Spectacular Woman is the one that made it manuscript and, you know, was published. So um, it seems like this book came before even you know you writing this lady called Life and Ponzi yeah.
1: yes it did
0: yeah, so um, um yeah talk talk us through why this particular book was one that you know made it all the way you know to being an actual book,
1: okay, first of all, the other books I didn't make here were written when I was like maybe five six, okay, um, so. There was no story really going on. I would just have an idea and think my idea could carry through, but then the idea would be steam yeah. halfway and then I would stop, not know where I was going. But over time, I got to learn how to complete things, have a beginning, a middle, and an end, have an outline to break down your ideas. You don't have to say anything one breath. So I guess that helped over the years. But Becoming a Spectacular Woman is a memoir of sorts, and it's a lot about my work with God hmm. um, and sharing. Hopes that people can come into a space where they know that they're spectacular too, as seen by God. Um, it was something I held off on for almost a year plus before writing, because I didn't feel at the time that I was qualified to tell anybody about becoming spectacular. I knew the things I was going through, and I didn't really feel super spectacular myself at the time. Um, writing it and writing it and reinforcing truths I had seen in God's word, things He had told me personally regardless about how different things in life had been discouraging. Um, Writing was very therapeutic for me. I think I was the first person to enjoy the fruits of it. Mm. Um, I put a lot of music in the book to songs that people could listen to as they were reading the chapters. And with very little marketing, the book broke even really quickly. I was very grateful for that because I used my money from the other news. I saved money aside from that and put it down into publishing. So it was Mm. self-published. And a lot of people got it and up till today a lot of them still read it every now and again. They tell me that once in a while they just go back to it anytime. Things are looking difficult, or they're feeling discouraged and they just want to remember this is who they are. They read the book again. process of writing it was very simple An outline. I sat down, wrote everything in my home office and it was really a home office, my table in my room, yes, because mm. then I didn't have a home office. Um, I wrote everything at the table on the table in my room. I just sat down yeah, with writing and thankfully then my parents were still here, they read the drafts, and they loved it. Um, it was a small book, it wasn't super, it wasn't overly really ambitious, it was a small enough book, I think maybe 70-something pages. Um, but it was a very honest work, and I was very vulnerable in it, sharing a lot of things without considering shame, because I feel it's as we share in vulnerability and ensures that other people are also given the license to be free. Yeah. So that was, that was how the book was written.
0: Okay. And um, I mean, you you love spaces for people to kind of journal as they um, read the book. And then it also had this music feature. Um, Why why were those elements important for this book?
1: No, like I said earlier, I journal a lot. Hmm. And I know how journaling can help people process their thoughts. I didn't want it to be just this kind of thing that people read and they just go about their Business after, and it doesn't mean stay. You just know I need something about this thing one day, but what does it mean to me? You don't know yet because you've not internalized it. now that to be that meditative element of the book. I listened to this song, I've let it wash over me, I've And now I'm writing about my own personal experiences, not just what i is sharing in the book about what she went through, but what I'm going through. So it stops just being my story. It becomes your story so I wanted it to be interactive in that sense hmm. and how, how what can you really do to make a book interactive because once it's with the reader it's there you can't talk again right so I wanted it to be something that would feel very interactive and
0: memorable okay and are you still like are there still copies available for purchase
1: Yes there, there are copies that there's some copies at um, Roving heights you can get copies at Amazon on Amazon As well, I think Okada Books has copies and um, BAM Books has copies. So it's available in several places, both nationally and internationally.
0: Okay. So at its core, um, what kind of stories do you like to tell? Like if if they just left you to write stories, what are those kind of stories you'd love to tell?
1: I think I love telling stories about love. But not just love in a romantic sense about beautiful community where people grow into wanting the best for each other hmm. so even if a person starts out being an having a screech at the beginning I would just always want that character to become someone who is loving at the end because I feel like love makes the world a better place and the world doesn't have to be the status in there's so much pain
2: yeah
1: in this world there's so much division and I don't like it and I feel the thing I can do about it is tell stories that inspire people to be better and make to, and, and inspire the world to be better. If you remember the project I did in university, the influence of non even things on social cultural development. I hope that the films I make can speak to social cultural development because many times we think that as long as the economy is fine and we have enough money and not corrupt and things like that, the world would be better. Yes, it would be better, but the way people get to the point of caring enough about not being corrupt and um, balancing things in economies because they already have the heart yeah. that considers others. And you can't force that to be the case from the, from the top down. It has to be something that starts intrinsically. And I feel stories are very powerful in doing that. Yeah. So stories that inspire change, social impact stories for sure in creative ways where you don't realize that I'm doing it. Like, because it's not entertaining anymore. So I want people to really enjoy the film but I don't want it to be like, you came from Archer Summer. I want you to enjoy the film, but then also go away with that desire, that motivation, inspiration, not by force, but like, I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to choose the right thing. I feel good about this because you've seen how it can pan out.
0: Hmm. Okay. Your university dissertation topic was rec- re- recurring themes of Nollywood on social cultural development. Um, there has been, would well, I say yearning, but there has been an interest in, um, you know, kind of gritty crime stories in Nigeria. And you could also say that mm-hmm. sometimes the society kind of feeds what creatives focus on and sometimes the creatives that determine Mm-hmm. how society kind of evolves in that sense. Yeah. Um, What do you think the prevalence of these kind of stories say about the current society, the current Nigeria that we live in?
1: I'm not sure if we are necessarily speaking to the current. because so these things have been happening for a while. But I just feel that maybe, maybe these are stories that are also taking the interest of people, not just in Nigeria but world over. We've seen stories like City of God. I don't know if you're familiar with City of God mm. and how it garnered so much acclaim world over, women, this, so little they had to make it. And with the first time actors and all of that, it was, it was a brilliantly done film, even though it was gory and all of that. Yeah. So I feel in many ways when we tend to see stories told in other parts of the world, where before we thought we could only use it Nollywood themes or traditional Hollywood themes. Um, I think other parts of the world are showing that anything can be an amazing story to tell. And most people would want to watch films that have action and yeah. have high stakes So stories that also deal with the violence in our cities, the stories that you can be sure would get people to watch them and also speak truth to power in several ways. So I think they there are there are almost like epic ways of blockbuster ways to touch on very important topics at the same time. Mm. It's not too difficult to look entertainment with the story on that level, especially since films are things people watch for escapism or for entertainment and have a good time. And most people can't go to the streets when real gangs are fighting. So you just stay somewhere else. But if you can watch it on a movie, watch it in a movie, you can enjoy the process and distance yourself from it at the same time.
0: Yeah. But I'm not
1: sure I'm not even sure I've answered this so thoroughly, but I'm still not sure that it speaks generally to everything in the society because the Nigerian society is quite nuanced. Where people of how many now? Are we over 150 million
0: or are we 200? Uh, More than 200 oh. at this point. <laughs> right? So
1: we're we so, Nigeria is very diverse. So even as the gangs stuff is happening, another film could focus on weddings and how the wedding industry is turning into something else or people in churches or in mosques or wherever it is like there's so many angles you can take and still reflect Nigerian society hmm. and the social culture issues.
0: Okay. Okay, so are you a member of the screenwriters guild of Nigeria? I'm not um what will make it attractive to you to join?
1: If it was if, if I was really assured that maybe I shouldn't say assured should because maybe I haven't tried enough to join it before I say that. But I feel like a guild should really protect the interests of screenwriters.
2: Hmm.
1: I like what Writers Guild is doing in the US where when it looks as if the people within the guild are not being getting are not getting the fair compensation or fair treatment, yeah. they take a stand that's reasonable. And then they're ready to say, okay, we will not even do anything or we will not get paid So if you don't want to, even to our demands. I haven't seen us take strong stands like that because many times I still see myself having to insist on things within spaces where I work. That If it's not done this way, I can't continue working on these projects. Many times on many projects, I've seen that writers don't get credit. You'll just be wondering, who wrote this? I like this one, who wrote this? Hmm. You go everywhere, you can't see, even on the end credits, there's nothing there. In, on the captions, or on Instagram, Twitter, you see everything about everybody that was on search, you see the cast. Who was the writer? Things like that. If we have a guild, that should be like front and centre compensation. There should be a level of a standard. There are people that still don't get amounts of pay that's it would hurt when you think of it because there's no one to stand up for them in that way. Sometimes it's a first timer thing and you can't do anything about it. It's so your first time, you just want to get your first credit. It's fine. Yeah. But it should not be a generic thing. People that have written works and who have credits out there still have to struggle when they're doing work that could garner millions and millions and get sold on Amazon Prime or Netflix and other spaces mm. where it feels as like if only you maybe at times get to really enjoy the benefits of the rich stories that we all are creating. Um, Yeah, so I think we can be doing better in the guild. So in my own mind, it's like, I wouldn't mind being a part of it, but I really haven't seen um, an incentive that's strong enough to me. in. Maybe I've not done enough research so I could be wrong on some levels. But now that you asked, I think I'll look into it again and see, see if these are even conversations that can be had, because we really need that. I think every arm of production needs a guild. Yeah, they out
0: for them, so things can be standardised. Okay, and um, like, what do you think? Us because the Writers Guild of America started somewhere, and you know they have mm. garnered so much influence that they can do what they are doing today. But like, what smaller battles can um, whether it is the Screenwriters Guild of Nigeria or guilds in Nigeria can start fighting in order to, would I say, protect their members.
1: I'll say start with the credits first. But I think that's a small enough. It's not about money yet. It's just give just give people their credits because when people can say, okay, I work on this and that, it gives them more opportunity than leverage and hmm. um, to leverage on and say, Okay. Yeah, it's like a CV. When you yeah. have to start explaining that I wrote this story, see evidence, and you can't just show it in credits. It's a long, it's a long vessel compared to just saying, see my name in the credits. It's yeah. very easy. Um so yeah, let's start with credits so, first. So Let people get recognized for the work that they
0: do. Okay. And then how do you think, like, um, screenwriters can put themselves out there so their uh, scripts can get commissioned, like, can get, you know, made into films? So how can they, you know, from their rooms where they create these stories, how can they get it out there?
1: I would say, first of all, um, many times a lot of people have reached out to me saying they, they they want me to look at their story because they want to make this into a film. And at first, I started out being enthusiastic to look at stories, because why not? But then most times, people just assume that you sit down and write something and it's ready for for, for the screen.
2: Hmm.
1: I would say that people should, first of all, focus on owning their craft, if it means doing it through a short film first, where so you can and be honest with yourself. Because it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves as human beings. Honest with yourself, if this work not good enough, if someone really want to shoot this, to so would you want someone to make this because they're having their, their, their empathetic towards your struggle, or maybe because it's a, it's a film that's strong enough to be made? Once we're at the level where we're confident in the crafting and not just because we're being biased to our own giftings, but because we practice and we're putting the work and taking all the feedback, if you can't get anybody to make your film, do something yourself too. Like I said again in the short, I was, that's what I did, even though I had no priority or at some Dinner Productions. By the time I was doing my film, Hat and he hadn't done feature film yet, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So it was even as if someone I had known was not going to work with me on a feature film because he was also in the process of building his own portfolio. So many times you have to be the one to say, okay, this is something I can do, and I'm willing to take a chance on myself. I will get a few of my friends who can help out Let's put this out. Let's submit it to festivals. Many times, if it's done well enough, there'll be a callback from at least one festival. When people see that you've done something that has gotten festival recognition, there's now a credibility. They're not going to allow to take a risk. Because another thing is, in as much as producers and filmmakers um, want to work with you, it's not as easy unless the person is really, really trained with scripts, for instance. It's not as easy to read a screenplay and read able to visualize it as a film immediately. So having something that they can reference that's already filmic, that speaks to something you've created, does help a lot. Mm. And having credits out there helps a lot because they can watch your work and say, okay, if this, if what you wrote played out this way on screen, I can use those eyes to read this thing I'm seeing, even though I might not be the most visual person because maybe if the person is uh, thinking, person is more technical, I know the director who sees everything visually. They're just reading words maybe and not being able to appreciate all of the ideas you have for the story. So it's better you have a proof of concept. That's yeah. some of what I'm saying. I use that to picture. yourself.
0: Okay. What was that one movie or TV series that if you were stuck on an island um, and you only had that one thing to watch, which one would you choose? TV, show mm. or movie?
1: Mm. For, for movie, that's a really hard one. Um, because there's so so many, I can't even, There's so many. Hmm. In animation, There's also some thinking right now. Um, I might just, just have to do my big fat recording.
0: Okay.
1: I don't know, like it's not like maybe I that scale, because it's one of the I've been looking at the script again and Trying to like, I like so many elements of it, and I wanted to figure it out on a more technical level. So, in this season, because it just has a lot of fun elements, it has everything in it, it has rain, but it's not super heavy, and you can feel that you're surrounded by a lot of people by watching a film that has all of that family and community. So, I'm not saying it's the only amazing film in the world, there are other ones that might be more critically acclaimed than it. But on an island, when you're alone, you need people, right? I I would watch that. Then for T V, maybe FBI. FBI, um, from productions. I just like it. It's always interesting. Every episode you must know what happens next and live. Hmm. I always enjoy watching that. There's something which you get tired of after a while. Hmm. Um, but this one it's not really about just the characters that you love. It's about new people coming in every every episode with new crimes to solve.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. So you have a podcast called Once Upon a Dream. Once upon a dreamer oh once upon, sorry once upon a dreamer um yeah I mean yes. I love it um I'm currently in episode five um oh thank you
1: yeah thank you for listening
0: yeah so how would how would you define a dream or as you said a vision
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: how do you yeah, define it
1: a dream. <laughs> I would even do say dream but just like vision makes it quicker so you don't have to explain too much um I would say a dream is that thing that beyond even yourself, God has placed in your heart that God, God like something that keeps drawing you to live.
2: Hmm.
1: You feel you're here for that reason. You feel like once you've done that thing, you can, can leave this earth satisfied because you fulfilled your purpose. Yeah. So it's not always super tangible, but it can be a blurred thing that you just know that one day, this is what I would do, that I would impact humanity and the world better because I existed. Yeah. So that's I think that's what the dream to me is for the most part. It's not just oh, I like actors and I want to be an actress or an actor. Mm. It has to be more than just what people influence you to do. It has to be something that even if anybody, if nobody was on your side, if everybody was against you, saying that this won't work, you'd be willing to go at it with your inner witness and with God by your side. That's the dream.
0: Okay. So um how do you think Nigerian filmmakers can get back to dreaming? Um We could say that, you know, Nigerian filmmakers are always on set. They close late. So even they sleep that they are sleeping, they don't get to settle in and dream very well. And even when they finish from set, they are hustling for their next, you know, production. So there isn't that time to kind of um sit back and, you know, would I say daydream, dream or whatever. But like, and I mean, we could say that maybe sometimes it reflects in the work that is produced. Um, so how can how can you know filmmakers get back to dreaming and you know just being open to possibilities?
1: I want I, I can say the how, but I don't know if it's, it's feasible for most people because they to earn, right? I would yeah. say the how is take a break, just take a break every now and again, step away from it, do something else, experience. Other parts of life and other people mm. go on budget if you can afford it because burnout is a real thing. You back to back to back, you you stop being creative no matter how hard you're trying to push yourself. Your body needs rest. Mm. You don't know it, like I said before. You don't know everything about everything. Everything is not film. Film is not what makes the world go around. So, so if you experience thing, things like food, if you like go to a restaurant, go on a food tasting talk Maybe even if you want to keep filming, carry a documentary tour and record everything you do on your journey if that has to be it. But step away. That's just what I'm saying. Because dreams dreams are inspired, right? Not just from what you think you have in your head, but from things you don't know about the world yet. You can you can smell a meal that takes you back, like in Food. Am I pronouncing it wrong? Uh, so. That takes you back to your childhood and makes you feel like home. When you're on this trip, you can see see someone that tells you something. You never know where inspiration is going to come from. You don't know where you're going to be refreshed again and inspired to do what you love and tell stories you've never told before because maybe you had never seen that angle mm. of life. Read just live. I think that's the best way to put it. Live. Yeah. Don't put yourself, don't let this thing that we call a gift or an opportunity or a privilege, this filmmaking. Don't let it become your prison. Live free because like, we build. Do you know how this thing happens where you say you're doing the thing you love, but gradually you don't realize that you're building brick after brick, or you look up, can't see where you're going to get out of it, you're trapped yeah. inside, like, and there's nothing else you can see but film and writing and everything. But nothing else is coming in, no new inspiration, no, no nothing. Huh. You don't see the sky anymore because you didn't step out. So, like, don't let it trap you. That's just something of oh, what
0: Okay, so um. I mean, what what inspires you, um, you know, to wake up every morning, write better stories, be a better person?
1: The Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not always a better person. He's the one that's he's the one that helps me. There are just times when I'm not inspired to write stories every day. Hmm. There are times I don't want to do any of it. The times that maybe a project I'm on has annoyed me. And I'm like, what's the point of this this um, work I'm doing? Um, if people even get to their point, if people even appreciate it, they're just moments that you go through that points, and just maybe want to do something else. Maybe I should just have a regular day job because then I'll be thinking of being creative 24-7 yeah. to make a living, right? So I would say it's definitely God because there are times when I've almost walked away and God has brought me back saying it's something He wants me to do that there's a reason I'm here and He has something for me to see to be a better person in that way it's really good because the times that of course, like I think every human being, I want to do something that's about me and for me, mm. thinking of other people in the process and God will convict my heart. Say so that's not how to live, that's not how to do it. Like the world doesn't move forward if everybody's thinking of just their thing and how to move forward. The times it's even tempting for you to say, I will do what will get me ahead because you see people taking advantage of you and you're just like, Okay. If that's how it is. me, maybe I'll just do myself too. Mm. I'll just think about me and i consider them. And before I can ever get to the point of that, he always checks me. He says, regardless of how painful it is, no level of praise and acclaim and celebration is worth you taking advantage of your fellow man. Yeah. So even if it means the journey slower sometimes or whatever, like the things that are not worth it to me, even if it feels like that, God shows me that there's still people who care about doing the right thing and we all encourage each other so if there's anything I'll say God and the people he's blessed me with
0: Okay So should we be expecting to get back into the director's chair anytime soon?
1: God willing God willing okay. Yeah, so.
0: so Can't wait Thank you yeah. Um, I'm
1: excited about
0: it, too. So. Nice. So, Nollywood is a growing industry, um, getting recognition here and there. Um, but internally, like, there are a lot of things we could be doing better. Um, for you, what is that thing you think we should prioritize in improving?
1: Uh, you know, I'm with to again. Storytelling.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, I'll start with storytelling, actually. Maybe I, I won't say storytelling. I would say being patient with mastering our crafts on every level. Yeah. No shortcuts. I know I know based on our budgetary constraints, it means that many times we're just trying to do what we can do to finish the film in ten days or five days if possible, you know. But that tends to show because we do one shot and we're like, okay, we're doing Even if it's not exactly what we're trying to get, we just make do with what we have. It's a lot of managing, managing here and there. Um, even on pro- projects that have bigger budgets, it's still something similar.
2: Yeah. We
1: don't have studio spaces, like we've not built studios that we could say away from the general public. So you're trying to shoot somewhere, next thing a generator comes on in the next house, sound is affected hmm. and it's out of your control because even when there's money, we don't have the um, what you call it, the, the infrastructure within the industry to carry the quality we're trying to reach. And now that we're getting to a global scale and the whole world is getting to watch our films, I feel it's time for us to also build on that level where film people can just say, okay, they want to shoot something. Can I rent out this sound studio for the day? Because hmm. I want to make something that we have to start fixing in post every five seconds for sound. Yeah. You know? So I, I feel taking time to hone the craft and everything that would support the execution of crafting on an excellent level if not only with steps back for a bit or even if we don't step back but we have people who rise up that say okay all they want to do is cover that space of things Mm. and and maybe there's a level of sponsorship in a way that is not beyond what filmmakers can afford to be a part of even initially i think it could really help things because now that we are getting to this um global playing field it's time to also look inwards and say okay not just that we're excited that we've gotten there how can we improve so people don't say things like this is an amazing film for a Nigerian film. or for Nigeria we keep talking about our limitations for 20 years I think we have a chance now to not just look at these limitations as things that will always be
2: hmm.
1: but things that could challenge us to, to improve upon and grow
2: okay
0: you know what I what, what I working on I should we expect a new season of your podcast um a new project a new book um,
1: yes, currently season three of Pony Dreamers live At least episode one is live And there will be more episodes in the coming weeks Apart from that There are a few projects I've worked on already That should be out this year I don't know when exactly Because once I've handed them in It's not in my hands anymore
2: hmm.
1: But there's there's a sequel for this thing called Life Coming Out okay. um, There's another film I worked on Which will be out soon There might be about three or four I'm not sure, right now Nice. Um, coming out this year spring writing projects then also directing might not be this year it might be next year but I'll keep everyone posted okay. on the details of that I'm not sure when next I'll be writing a book hmm. But in this current season like I told you I'm going back to studying and growing again so that what things I put out will be in a space that I can be very proud of so not yeah. just have people being proud of and feeling like it could be better
2: hmm.
0: Okay. And, um, you know, when these updates are ready, where can people go to you know find out?
1: Yes, I do definitely. My social media, at on Instagram and Twitter. But then my websites, I guess, get the updates before anyone else, com. Okay.
0: Thanks, Dolwani, for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Ella. It's been an, an amazing conversation. Yeah, Thank
0: thanks. you, for having me. Thanks a lot. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Selego Film and the podcast at the Niger Film Pod to share your feedback. You can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.